Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collins, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 88 of the podcast. Today, we're talking about the Stargate Universe episode, Common Descent. And if you'd like to check out my original science fiction books, head on over to adamdavidcollings.com books. The description on Gateworld reads, Destiny comes upon a colony of humans who claim that their civilization was founded 2,000 years earlier by Destiny's own crew. This episode was written by Robert C. Cooper. It was directed by Peter DeLuise, and it first aired on the 18th of April 2011. We're really into the home stretch of Stargate Universe now. This episode and the next episode form a little two-part arc, and then the final two episodes round off the season arc. I'll warn you in advance that I may be doing a lot of gushing over the next two podcasts. I love this episode and the next one. Remember the CO2 scrubbers that were failing back in the pilot episode Air? Well, some of them on one of the decks are failing, resulting in headaches and nausea for the crew who sleep in that section. I like how TJ immediately reports the unusually high number of people with similar symptoms all in the one area. There could be a cause which presents a bigger problem than just the medical one. Fortunately, Brody is already onto it. They're still allowing Destiny to follow its own predetermined course for the most part. They can control the ship if they have to, but the rest of the time they let it do its thing. It's just dropped out of FDL and there are two planets with stargates in range. One of them looks promising. Destiny is still helping them find the supplies they need. When Eli meets Chloe and Camille in the observation deck, Chloe talks about how she hopes they find some of the purple fruit they discovered recently. Interesting that you'd expect to find the same fruit on multiple planets. I wouldn't expect that to be likely. Voyager did the same thing with the Leola root being common to many planets in the Delta Quadrant. Anyway, like most edible plant life in this part of the universe, they tasted terrible. But Chloe and Camille share a knowing look. Apparently, they were good for something else, but they're not going to let on what that was to Eli. That's when Chloe spots something out the window. Drones. Our old friends. We haven't seen them in a while, but last time we did, they nearly destroyed the ship. As they come into range, they open fire immediately. So that's not good. One would assume the crew have been practicing operating the ship in a combat situation since last time. They seem to be doing a decent job of flying and shooting. Greer is actually getting pretty good at it. Scott detects the command ship. It's on an intercept course. They're keeping distance between them, but they won't be able to keep it up until it's time to jump. That'll burn out the engines. Young and his crew had assumed they were out of drone space, and Rush still believes this, so it seems the drones are actively pursuing Destiny. They may have tracked us using the reprogrammed drone that got the crew out of the last encounter. They destroy it, but that'll only help after they've made the next jump assuming that really was how they were tracking us. Rush thinks the damage they'll suffer from jumping early is a greater risk than the damage they'll suffer from the next attack. 
which just goes to show how bad an idea it really is to jump early. Something you only do in the most dire of circumstances. This episode is our first indication that the drone problem really is going to be a bigger issue than just that two-parter in the middle of the season. As the command ship comes into range, we see a huge swarm of drones. They're not going to make it. Except they do. Rush boosts the shields, and they make it until the timer runs out. They jump. As Eli says, they're lucky they're still alive. There's a lot of repair work to do. Destiny is not going to be able to survive continual attacks like that one. So let's hope the drones no longer have the ability to track Destiny. They must have been travelling for quite some time, because Destiny wants to drop out of FTL again, near a planet. This presents a bit of a dilemma. Young is inclined to override Destiny and just keep going, just to be sure they can get as far away from those drones as possible. And I get that. When you're being chased by something scary, the last thing you want to do is stop running and stand still. But that's a very emotional response. It's actually Brody who is looking at this a little more logically. They need lime for the CO2 scrubbers. It's safe to assume Destiny has found some on this planet, which is why it wants to stop. They've dealt with the worst of the repairs, and as Rush says, if they don't stop soon, they're going to have trouble breathing. There are no drones immediately on sensors. The planet seems relatively inhabitable. At least this time, they're not searching for lime in a desert. Space exploration has always been an important part of the Stargate franchise. But you know one of the big things I like about SGU? There really is a sense of going where no one has gone before. In SG-1 and Atlantis, they were travelling to planets populated by humans, who had been placed there by the Gold, or the Ancients. But here, in Stargate Universe, we're in the deep distant reaches, where no human, or any other race known to humans, has ever been. Not even the Ancients. There's a real sense of wonder I get from that. But it's a spine-tingling, cold, almost scary kind of wonder. It's hard to describe, but I think it's cool. However, as I say that, who should run out of the forest but two human beings? At least they look human. And they understand and speak English. But even more surprising, the young woman says, I know you. You're Matthew Scott. Okay. (laughs) When Scott demands to know how they know our names, the male says, You're the ancestors. They claim that their civilization was founded 2,000 years ago by the crew of Destiny. They have historical kino footage, which is how they recognize Scott and Greer. The logical conclusion here is that the ancestors were the alternate timeline crew from Twin Destinies. The time anomaly sent Destiny itself back a few hours, but the wormhole itself may have sent the crew back thousands of years. So why didn't they arrive on Earth in the first century? We know the wormhole was connected to Earth because Telford made it through. Remember that when a Stargate gets impacted by a solar flare, not only does it travel through time, it also loops back on itself. So you come back out the source gate, not the destination. And since there was no destiny there 2000 years ago, Rush theorizes 
that it simply connected to a nearby gate in the network. A gate that had already been placed by a seed chip far in advance of Destiny. 2,000 years in advance of it, in fact. And that's not too unbelievable. I mean, we know that Destiny will just plod along at sublight until it reaches a star to recharge, if necessary. If that ever happened in the past, Destiny could easily have fallen back a few thousand years behind its furthest seed chips. Eli seems to be the only one who sees this as super cool. As he says, don't you at least want to know how they survived and developed as a society? I know I sure as heck would. <laughs> Chloe reckons that Eli played a little too much SimCity as a kid. But I'm with Eli. Chloe, Young, TJ and the rest have no poetry in their souls. I'd want to know every little thing about this society's history. But Rush has to remind everyone why they came to this planet in the first place. They need lime. Jason and Ellie can probably help them find it. The crew are subjected to some hero worship, which has just got to be a little uncomfortable, if flattering. Jason and Ellie don't understand how their ancestors came to be here alive, but they mention the testament that said destiny might return someday. The other Eli probably theorised about what happened, and his words may have taken on sacred, almost religious importance. This planet is not where they first established their civilization. That was on a planet called Novus. This group came here as part of an expedition to try to find other viable worlds. But one day something happened and they couldn't dial Novus anymore. They think it was likely destroyed by an earthquake. And with no other gates in range, they were stuck here. That was 30 years ago. These settlers have tents, radios and soccer balls but no permanent buildings, it seems. You'd think that over the course of a generation, they'd build some houses. Camille is chuffed that the leader of this tribe has the same name as her father. And it's nice to know that their descendants have finally managed to find palatable food and drink. Eli wants to get his hand on the testament. How cool would it be to just sit down in a nice library for a few days and just read through it all? I'd be up for that in a heartbeat. We learn that Novus had a population of millions, and it was pretty advanced technologically. But it was facing some kind of natural disaster. There was a lot of political tension around the issue, as you can imagine. But it turns out there were two countries on the planet, each with a different political philosophy. Tanara believed in the testament, which some of them wrote. The name means the land of the young in ancient, or the land of young. The other group blamed alternate Eli for what happened. They thought Rush was still on board Destiny and would one day come and rescue them. He became a saviour figure. They broke off and formed a country of their own, Futura. Brody was one of them. He came up with a name. They have some old footage on a data port compatible with Destiny. The original Kinos that first housed that footage are viewed like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which makes perfect sense to me. Rush seems to lack the enthusiasm that everyone else has for all of this, but then he doesn't have any descendants down there. His counterpart never made it to Novus. When Jason and Ellie meet Rush on the bridge, they bow their heads. 
but apparently it's not in reverence. Some of their descendants have come to believe that Rush was a demon who would drag their souls down to hell. And when Park remarks on how some things get twisted and exaggerated, Volker says, and some things don't, which I found amusing. But many Futurans worship Rush like a god, which I'm sure Rush would be thrilled about. We're treated to some footage of Eli, showing where they're going to break ground building their town. He also explains the history of how the planet got the name Novus. The settlers have helped the crew get the supplies they need, but now they have a request. Take us home to Novus. They know the gate won't dial, but they don't know exactly what happens to their world. What state is it currently in? These guys were sent out to create a colony, but with the expectation of help and support from their homeworld. Since they were cut off, they've had to make do on their own, and they're barely surviving. Goodness, that all sounds familiar. Seems the Destiny crew have a lot in common with their descendants. Eli and Camille feel they have a moral duty to help these people, which I would agree with. The young points out they can't take that many people on Destiny. Eli has figured out the location of the planet. The trip will only be about a week. But with that many people on board, the lime they got here will be running out by the time they get there. If they can't secure more lime on Novus, they're finished. And that's not a risk that Rush is willing to take. The people of Novus might be advanced enough to help them get Destiny back into a fully working condition. Or they could all be dead. The theory 30 years ago was that a rogue black hole was approaching the system. The tidal forces could rip it all apart. But that process could have taken hundreds of years, and all of this was happening in the early 80s. It's crazy. While I was a preschool kid here on Earth, the Novans were looking for a new homeworld. And then there's another problem. The drones. In all that excitement, we'd kind of forgotten about them, hadn't we? That's actually how this episode started. The last thing they need right now is a drain on their resources. So what's the alternative? Say no thanks and let their descendants, possibly their only living descendants, just slowly die on this planet? Young has a good compromise. The planet is close. They go there and investigate the planet and see what's up. Maybe they can repair the gate and then the settlers can get there without the ship. It seems a reasonable first step to me. Another clip from the Kino footage shows TJ giving birth to the first baby born on Novus. I love how Eli practically has tears in his eyes as he says it. It seems that those versions of TJ and Young got back together and started a family. They had a boy, by the way. Then there's a big jump ahead. The town is well established. There are wooden structures that don't look too dissimilar from what you might see in an American frontier town in a western. It seems Eli has a child too. His only regret is that his mother will never know how they turned out, or get to meet her grandson. A much older young is giving a speech. This is the time when the Futurans broke off and formed their own country. Young seems pretty magnanimous about it all. But he talks about how the early days were hard, but it brought them closer together. They've built a life they can all be proud of. 
Eli still thinks that Young's plan isn't enough. They should be taking everyone on board now. He hoped showing Young that footage would convince him of that. So what are they going to do if they reach Novus and the gate can't be repaired? Or there's nothing to go back to? Will they return here to these people and help them find another home? Will they at least go back and tell them what they've learned? It seems Young is offering no promises on that front, and I think that's what is really bothering Eli and Camille. The leader of this world sadly observes that the Futurans were wrong after all. Destiny didn't come back to help them. If they'd known this sooner, they could have avoided generations of conflict over the question. And that's when the drones appear, not just in orbit, but flying through the atmosphere of this world. Well, that's a problem, because if they leave the settlers here, they'll die. There's only one option now. They all evacuate through the gate as the drones blow the settlement to pieces. Destiny is also under attack. Young allows the settlers to evacuate. Good thing he has a heart after all. Rush doesn't know how the drones found them. Scott and Greer manage to destroy the drones, but the gate has a big chunk out of it. They're not getting off this planet that way. Young has no choice. Destiny jumps. Eli, Scott, Greer and Camille are stranded on the planet with the remaining settlers. Ellie asks an uncomfortable question. Why would the drones come here? And that's our fault. Destiny brought them here. So, rather than bringing salvation, Destiny's return has brought destruction and ruin. Boy, were those Futurans wrong. Eli and Rush have both come to the same conclusion. The drones are tracking Destiny via the gates. An active Stargate is a massive subspace event. The drones can detect that event. There are other settlements on the planet. Jason and Ellie run off to warn them, but it's probably already too late. So now they know how they're doing the tracking, this means that as long as they don't use the gate, they should be able to hide. They'll have to use the shuttle to get supplies from planets. Young agrees with Rush that it's too dangerous to risk going back for everyone else. But if they don't use the gate, then the drones shouldn't be able to track them. I'd be buying a little time just to get the drones off the scent and then going back personally. Eli may have found a way to get a signal out to Destiny. Stargates have a transmitter. They communicate updates with one another and send status to Destiny. So far, all Eli can do is turn it on and off. But that's all they need to tap out an SOS. I kind of wish they'd all give Brody a break. Yeah, I don't think Futura is the greatest name. But do they have to keep mocking him for that? The answer, by the way, is no, they don't. It's all getting a bit old, and I'm kind of annoyed on Brody's behalf. I think that this was possibly meant to be funny? I'm not sure. But it reminds me of the kind of humour you sometimes see in old DC comics, where everyone makes fun of Aquaman, because he's the butt of all their jokes. And similar nonsense between Superman and Batman. I hate that kind of humour, and I really don't understand why people find it funny. If you do, then great, but it does nothing for me. Anyway, they're overjoyed when they see that shuttle in the sky. As they near the planet, speculation is rife. As usual, Eli is the voice of optimism. Their descendants have to be there. We pass down all our knowledge to them. 
but as TJ points out, they pass down some of their disagreements too. The shuttle descends towards Novus. There are no radio signals, which is odd given that they are advanced. They're passing through a layer of particulate matter, dust and ash. Well, that's ominous. It's very cold down there. Maybe a nuclear winter? They see a huge modern city, but it's completely deserted. It seems the ash came from a supervolcano, and it produced conditions similar to a nuclear winter. There's nobody alive down there. So where do they all go? Are they all dead? We'll have to tune in next time to find out. This episode had a pretty unusual structure. It actually covered a lot of ground. First it raised the issue of the CO2, but very quickly became an episode all about the drone attacks. But then it transitioned almost into an entirely different episode about finding their descendants only to have it all come together with the drones and the CO2 being important elements of the climax. And then we make it all the way to Novus before the episode ends. In my memory of earlier watches, this was all covered over a series of several episodes, not just one. But, as unusual as it may feel, this structure works for this episode. It's a thrilling ride. And I can't wait to delve into the next one with you. That'll be called Epilogue. Until then, have a great two weeks. Live long and prosper, make it so.